This morning we're going to end the um, David series that we've been going through. And next week we'll be starting from Luke's Gospel for three weeks in uh, the Christmas uh, sermon series. Could you turn me down just a little bit? I'm, I'm really hot. Thank you. We're going to begin reading in the first verse of 2 Samuel chapter 7. You follow along as I read out loud. The writer tells us, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moved about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a, your, a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over the people, my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with the vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. There is no God beside you. 
according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself and your people, Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word you have spoken concerning your servant, concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. Let's take a moment and walk through this story. It's a longer passage, but really it doesn't have a lot of movement in it. First of all, we need to acknowledge that this passage is probably out of place in terms of David's life. This is probably something that happened very late in his life, but the writer has included it here for whatever reason. Well, how do we know that? If you look at verse 1, it said, When the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies. This is chapter 7. In chapter 8, 9, and 10, we're told about a number of battles that David fought in his life. And so if God had given him rest from all of his enemies, why is he still having these fights? But this story has basically three different scenes. The first is when David has in his heart to build a temple to God. He's looking around his house one day, the nice structure, the nice dwelling that he had, and then the thought hit him. God lives in a tent. I've got this really, really nice house But the Ark of the Covenant of God dwells in a tent. It just didn't seem right to him. And so he tells the prophet of God, Nathan, what he wants to do. This is the same Nathan, you remember, who confronted David with his sin with Bathsheba. Nathan, the prophet, says, David, you do whatever is in your heart. The Lord is with you. But then the second scene, that night, God comes to Nathan and he says, what are you doing? You need to go back and and tell David not to do this. This is not what I want him to do. The text we read today doesn't tell us why God didn't want David to build him a house. But later... When David is ready to turn the throne over to his son, he reveals 
what it was that God had said to him. In First Chronicles 22, he said, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, You have shed much blood. Because David was a warrior, because he was a soldier, he had been fighting the battles of God to be sure. But God said, I don't want a man of war to be building my house for me. This was probably God's way of making sure that his house was holy. He wanted a man of peace to build his house and not a man of war. But honestly, there's another theme that goes on here as well. What kind of house would you build for God? David looked around and he said, this is not right. I've got a nice house with cedar walls. Now, cedar in that day was the most expensive building product that they would use in your, in your homes. It was something that only very wealthy people used. David said, man, i got this nice house with paneled walls. And Dad, uh, my, my God is living in a tent. That's not right. And the word comes back to him and says, yeah, but what house would you build for God? If cedar is good for you, do you think that's good enough for God? And the psalmist even asked the question, what would you build a house for God out of? What would be good enough for God? And God says, I don't want you to do this. But God didn't stop there. God didn't stop by just telling David, I don't want you to build me a house. God does something spectacular here. And that's the third scene that we see here. God doesn't just tell David that he can't build him a house. God said, I'm going to build you a house. God flips the tables on David here in a wonderful way. God tells David, he said, I'm going to establish your house, your throne forever. Now this is obviously a reference to Jesus who was a descendant of David who would sit on the throne forever and ever. This is huge. We have heard the story of how Jesus is a descendant of David and he will reign forever and ever. And so, unfortunately, this is kind of like old hat for us. But for David, this is the first he's ever heard of this. David is floored. Now, keep in mind where we are. David is the king of Israel. But remember the history that we've seen so far? He's only the second king. The first king was Saul, and the kingdom was taken from Saul and given to David. You say, well, what's that got to do with anything? Saul's dynasty, the first king, his dynasty lasted all of one person. He didn't even transfer the kingdom to his own son. David now has received the throne. Stick with me. Israel has never experienced a transition from a king to the king's son. Not yet. Saul had the throne and the kingdom was taken and given to David. It wasn't transferred to his son. David now has the throne and he hasn't even transferred it to his son yet. And God said, don't worry. There's always going to be a son of David on this throne. And David's like, wow, the nation of Israel has never had a successful transition from father to son. And God says, don't worry, 
there's never going to be someone on this throne that's not a son, a descendant of David. Finally, David, after hearing this, he goes into the tent. He goes into the dwelling place of God where the Ark of the Covenant is, and he sits down. He's absolutely overwhelmed by what God has told him. This now is where the whole series that we've been going through with David now comes together. Everything comes to this point. David is given this wonderful promise that he will have an heir to sit on the throne forever. Understand, David still doesn't understand what we know, that this means that the Son of God is going to be his descendant. We know that, but David didn't. David is blown away by what God says to him. This story stands as the high point of David's whole life. Even more important than killing the giant. Even more important than being anointed the king. Nothing that he has done compares to what God is telling him now. That he will be the head of a dynasty that will never end. David has been described before this as a man after God's own heart. We certainly see that in this story, don't we? Now let's look briefly at what David did right in this text. There's a number of things that David does right that we want to pay attention to that we can learn from today. First of all, David saw a discrepancy between the house he was living in and the house where God dwelt, the sanctuary of God. David was living in luxury. And yet the ark of God was in a tent. Something in David's heart said, hmm, this is just not right. That I should dwell in comfort like this while God doesn't have something that's commensurate. That's not, God doesn't have something that's the same as what I've got. And the reason that David was able to see this was because he was looking. The way he was able to see this discrepancy was because he was looking at the tent God dwelt in. Why is that important? Because David wasn't so wrapped up in himself that he didn't see what was going on around him. How many times do we get so caught up in our own lives and making sure that our house is running well that we don't even look at God's house and how God's house is running, how God's house is being taken care of? David sees that I want to do something about that. That's the first thing we learn. The second thing we learn from David in this text is that David wanted to do something special for God. This is important. God did not promise the throne to David because David was wanting to do this for God. 
David didn't want to build the temple of God because God had promised the throne to him. He'd already decided that he wanted to build the temple for God even before God had revealed that he was going to have a son on the throne forever. David wanted to do something special for God. Number three, I like this one. God's no meant no. And David accepted that. Man, he was all excited he was going to build this temple. He brings the prophet of God and he says, I want to build the temple. And the prophet even says, go for it. Sounds like a good idea to me. And then when word comes back that God doesn't want him to do it, David says, okay, if that's what God wants, then I'll listen to him. Now remember who this guy is. This is the same guy, David, remember, that when the word of God came down that says, no, you can't have that woman, she's married. God's no didn't mean no then, did it? Has David maybe learned a lesson to listen to God? And the judgment that, that he experienced because God's no wasn't no. God said, don't do this. And David said, okay, I won't. He accepts that. David could have gotten upset and said, no, I want to do it anyway. This is something good I want to do for God. And God's just going to have to take what I do. Listen to me. God doesn't just have a will about the things that we do wrong, God also has a will with regard to the things that we do that are right. Good stuff. And God, for his own reason, said, David, thank you, but no thanks. I want somebody else to do this. Stick with me. This is important because not everything that we get in our heart that we want to do is something that God wants us to do. Even if it's not a wrong thing. Even if it's not a bad thing. David wasn't wrong in wanting to build the temple for God. In 1 Kings chapter 8, God even affirmed David and he said it was good that you had it in your heart to do it. David wanted this. But not every thought that comes into our heads is something that God wants us to do even if it's a good thing. God told him that he was the wrong man for the job. While we're here, we probably ought to talk about what David did wrong in this story. He did a lot of right things, but he did something wrong. Did you see what it was? He wasn't alone in this. Nathan the prophet was with him. David said, I want to do this. And Nathan said, sounds good to me. And then we're told that Nathan went home and that very night, God says, what are you doing? This is not what I want David to do. And Nathan had to turn around and make that journey back to the palace and say, by the way, God says not to do this. What the story seems to indicate is neither man stopped and asked God what God wanted. What Nathan should have said when David said, hey, I want to build a temple for God, Nathan should have said, and what God say? Did you pray about it? Remember impulsive David when the guy ticked him off, Nabal, remember? And he said, I'm going to kill every man in that house. Remember what we saw that Sunday? He didn't stop and pray, God, do you want me to go kill them all? 
Well, what we see here is that David hasn't learned this lesson yet. He went from having an angry, hurtful attitude and desire where he didn't go to God. Well, now he has a good thought, but he still doesn't go to God. Nathan should have said, why don't we stop and pray about this? How about if I go pray about it and I'll come back and tell you? He just impulsively says, hey, sounds like a good idea to me. And then God comes to him and says, don't do this. Both men should have prayed before they went forward. Number four, another good thing that David does here is he worships God. God comes and tells him that he's going to make his throne last forever. And David goes in and the text says that he went in and he sat down before God. That doesn't really capture probably what the text is saying. It says he remained there. Have you ever been so overwhelmed by God? You just sat there. You couldn't soak it all in. That's where David was. He worships God and he actually says, there is none like you. Which is why we sang that song this morning. We have no other God like this God, do we? David set out and said, I am going to do something great for God. I'm going to do something special for God. He said, I want to do something special for God. And God says, no, I want to do something special for you. Wow. Think about that for a moment. He wanted to do something special for God, and God flips the tables on him. And God says, you want to bless me? God said, I'm going to be a blessing to you. And David just sits down and worships God for what he he had said. This is so like God, isn't it? Every time we want to do something for God, God does something even better for us. Every time we reach out and give to God something, God turns around and gives us something even better. God is such an awesome God. There is none like Him. And David expresses his worship through humility. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd be like David, unfortunately. He said, David, you're going to have a son to sit on the throne forever. I'd be like, really? Really? That sounds kind of cool, right? David is now the king of an everlasting dynasty. I don't know about you, but my head would be swelling. I'd be walking around, right? David is reminded of where he came from. And like seven times, isn't it, in this text, he says, I am your servant. Even though he is king, even though he is the head of a never-ending dynasty, he remembers that he is but a servant of God. And when we are servants of God, there is no room for a big head. God did not do this for David because David was so great. 
David was great because God did this for him. His worship keeps coming back in this text. Ten times he talks about the greatness of God. He keeps referring to God as the sovereign Lord. Oh, Lord God. He exalts God. He lifts God up even as he humbles himself. The last thing we learn in this text that David did right is he helped his son Solomon build the temple. God told David he couldn't build it. And so David said, fine, I'll get the plans together and I'll get all the materials ready to go. So David spends the remainder of his life going down to Home Depot and getting everything that Solomon would need to build the temple. Why is that important? I don't know about you, but how many times when our plans are stopped do we get miffed? Well, fine, then I won't do anything. God doesn't want me to help, then I won't help. The temple is still important to David. And he doesn't get his nose out of joint because God said, I don't want you to do it. He showed that his heart was really in the work because he wanted the work done. It wasn't about him doing it. Are you with me? He didn't say, I want God to have a really nice temple that I built. He said, I want God to have a really nice temple. Who builds it is not as important as it getting built. Oftentimes we see people who if they can't do what they want to do, then fine, let somebody else do it. If they can't get credit for it, if they can't be in the spotlight, fine, I won't do it. David shows his heart because even though he's not going to be able to do what he wants to do, fine, then I'll do what I can. And I love David's attitude here. He's looking for a way to do what he wants to do. He's going to keep going. He's going to keep helping with the project. What's our takeaway, though? What do we learn that we can apply to ourselves today from looking at David? Number one, pay attention to God's house. Come on, people. This one's easy. David looked at the discrepancy between his house and the house of God, and he said, this is not right. You don't have to walk around this building very long to start seeing things that we would not tolerate in our own homes. This room, we've done a really good job of keeping up to date, but you walk through the other parts of the building, we're not just years behind people, we're decades behind We've got bathrooms, right, that should have been remodeled 10, 20 years ago. It's good enough. David didn't have it's a good enough attitude when it came to the house of God. He said, I want something better for God. Pay attention to God's house. Also, look at the amount of time that you spend keeping your house up. Are you with me? All the time that we spend in our houses doing maintenance on our house and keeping them up to date. 
making sure everything is working fine. Right? It shouldn't take four months to get a leaky faucet fixed in the church. You wouldn't take four months to fix a leaky faucet in your home. Right? And how many of us, because we're spending so much time keeping our houses up at home, taking care of the work there, oh, I don't have time to help at the church. i got all this stuff to do at home. Really? We're spending our time taking care of stuff at home, but we won't take time to take care of God's house. David said that's not good enough. Second, our takeaway today is make sure that you're giving God the worship that he is due. We just went through Thanksgiving. We're in Thanksgiving weekend. Worship involves Thanksgiving. But worship is more than just being thankful. David actually wants to praise God himself. God reminded David, I took you from the fields when you were a shepherd. And I made you a king of a never-ending dynasty. And David's like, wow, I've come a long distance. Our worship reminds us of what God has done in our lives. Amen? Think about it for a moment. God has anointed David to be king. His own family didn't believe it. Really? That kid? You're going to make him king? Right? Can you imagine his brothers when they find out that God is going to make him a king that's going to stay on the throne forever? His brothers are probably like... Right? That should have been me. David recognizes it shouldn't have been him. He couldn't look at him and say, oh yeah, I can see why God wanted me to be king. Right? He was a shepherd. He was a nobody. Until God came in and gave him this honor. The key for us to remember is we can go further with God than we can go without God. Look at where David has gone with God. He's gone from being shepherd to being king. And until we understand we go further with God than we go without God, we're never going to amount to anything. This is why it's important for us to be in worship every week when we can. Because if we forget where we came from, if we forget how we got here, we're going to go back. Keep Reminding yourself that lasting success only comes from God. Number three, look for ways to do something nice for God. Think about it. In your life, when was the last time you said, you know what, I want to do something special for God? Look at what God has done for us. He has taken us from nothing and made us His children. He's taken us where we were lost in sin, dead in our trespasses, and He has given us eternal life in Jesus Christ. We have received tremendous promises from God. Not that we're going to have an heir to sit on the throne forever, but we're going to have eternal life. 
this time of year, at Christmas time, how many of us will be looking for ways to show those special people in our lives how special they are? And we will go and spend hundreds of dollars to buy them a Christmas gift. Even as we throw God five bucks. But I want these people to know how special they are to me. That's great. When was the last time you tried to show God how special he was to you? By doing something what we call just cause. You know what I'm talking about? When you do something nice for that special, why'd you do that? Just because. Just because I wanted to. Why did David want to do this for God? Just because. Because everything that God had done for him up to that point. Some of the best gifts that we have ever received are gifts that people have given to us for no particular reason, just because. Look at your life. What are you doing for God to show him how special he is to you, just because? When we truly love God, we will look for ways to show God how special he is to us. David wanted to do this for God. Nobody came up to him and said, you know what, you really ought to do that. God didn't even tell David to do this. Are you with me? God didn't inspire David to do what David then was told not to do. It came from his own heart. I want to do something for God. He came up with this on his own. Similar to what we learned a few weeks ago about giving. We should not just sit back and wait for God to tell us what he wants us to do. We should be looking for ways to do things for God because we want to. Number four. What we do for God shows how important God is in our lives. When we come here on Sunday mornings faithfully, that says something, doesn't it? That shows that we think God is important enough for us to carve out some time to give to God. And that's important. But when that's all we give to God is a little time on Sunday morning and then the rest of the week belongs to us, that says something too, doesn't it? Make sure that you're giving God the proper due. The proper time in your life. Number five. What we see in this passage is that David really is a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he really, really loves God. You've been through this whole series. And one thing that we can say for certain David isn't perfect, is he? Here's a man who is far from perfect. But boy, he sure loves God, doesn't he? God doesn't just have the words on his lips. God has his heart, too. He really, really loves God. He doesn't just say it. 
David's desire to do this for God was not because he wanted to be forgiven. Hey, maybe if I build God a, a temple, he'll forgive me for that whole adultery and murder thing. No. David has already been forgiven. The prophet came in and said, you are forgiven. You're cleansed. David wasn't doing this so that he might earn favor with God. He did this because he wanted to show God how much he loved him for God's mercy that he'd already received. David really has a heart for the things of God. Which begs the question, people. Does God have your heart? Really? Yeah, yeah, I get it. We want to say it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God has my heart. I love God. It's not the question. Of course we're going to say that we love God with our words. Of course we want to think that God has our heart. But does he? Look at the way you've been living your life. Look at the love that you express to God. Does God feel the love from you? When was the last time you did something special for God that was significant? That was costly, cost you time and money. But you said, you know what, God, you're worth it. When was the last time you did that? If God has our heart, it will be evident by the way that we live. Paul said in Ephesians 20, we'll close with this. Paul said in Ephesians 20 that God is able to do more in our lives than we can even imagine. Let's stop and look at where you are today. Have you already begun to see some of the things that God has been doing, the wonderful blessings of God? You know what? Everything that God has done in your life, he wants to do that much more. No matter what we do for God, God says, I want to outdo you. That's how great our God is. He wants to flip the tables. He wants to turn our house upside down. And when we love him, God will show us more love than we've ever experienced in our lives. Do you want that today? I don't know about you, but that's, I want God to turn my house upside down. I want God to do something to where I sit back and say, Wow, there is nobody like God. So that I can tell everybody that I know about the wonderful, awesome God that I serve. Do you want that today?